HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is really excited and waiting for the Pizza Robot and Automatic Barista episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And you know what? Almost every show on Tech Bites, the future is now. The future is today. We have robots. We have automation coffee. We have future, the future of food, all of that. It's exciting. And we have pizza because many of you listeners may or may not know the Heritage Radio Network studio is located inside two repurposed shipping containers at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This has always been our home. We're coming up on a 15-year anniversary this fall. And we love it here. You can hear maybe the ambient noise of the music pretty soon. You'll be hearing us eating pizza because it's part of the joy of recording here. We love it. It's our home, and we are so happy to be back in studio. We recorded remotely from 2020 up until a few weeks ago because of the pandemic. And... We got to hear all of our friends and colleagues, but we didn't get to see them. And today is the first time I've seen my engineer and the big production honcho at Heritage Radio, Matt Patterson. Hello, hello. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it's been so long since I've seen you. I know, it's a pleasure to be back in the studio with all you fine folks. And pizza. And pizza. Pizza's coming. Got to see got to see Jimmy Carboni of Beer Sessions Radio this week too. So it's been it's been nice to have some people come through the studio. Does it feel like almost three years have passed, or does it seem like we were just on one of our like summer or holiday winter breaks? Does it seem <laughs> like three years or just like three weeks? 
Oh boy. Uh, I don't know. It definitely seems like it seems like a while because we've had you know we've had the studio. Some people have been coming in for uh, a lot longer than just a couple weeks, and so people have been coming and going. Different different. Uh, there have been waves and uh, waves of opening, waves of closure. So yeah, no, it feels like it feels like a while. <laughs> okay. Well, you look exactly the same, and I'm sure everyone will think that your voice sounds exactly. I appreciate that, and um, same to you. You you also look exactly the same. Exactly the same. So I look like the version of me from 2020. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> With a cooler uh, heritage T-shirt. Don't think I didn't it's notice. It's the that. same T-shirt. This oh, is okay. the original I thought T-shirt. You had done like a new no, treatment to it. Uh-uh. This is good content, this is by the way, for audio. But, um, <laughs> the is, same Jen T-shirt. The same T-shirt. wearing a very vintage Heritage Radio Network. It's the original from one. It's Brooklyn. the original one. This yeah. thing is probably like five or six years old. Uh, well, I think it's. Pro- <laughs> you you just did a COVID thing. It's probably ten years. It's probably like <laughs> ten years old. But I've only been doing the show since 2015, so I would not have gotten heritage swag before uh, that. Okay, that makes it eight. Yeah. yeah okay. 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 All right. Wow. That's a lot of content. Yeah. Today you are listening to episode 294. We are happy to be back in the studio when we started Tech Bytes in January of 2015. The idea was live conversation, and back then the show was broadcast live as we were doing it. It was recorded and then reposted on every single podcast platform you can imagine. And having live conversation with people in the same space has a really dynamic, fun energy that I love. And I miss that a lot when we were recording remotely. The upshot to the remote recording is that you get to talk to people from all over the world. But now that we're back in studio and we're back, I think we're back. I think we're back to live action and pizza. I mean, how can anybody turn that down? To point, we have joining us today, Benson Sai, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Stellar Pizza. He's in from the West Coast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to talk about pizza and eat pizza here. Exactly. So he's going to be maybe a, um, a little bit more of a tougher professional critic on the pizza front <laughs> because he has a pizza company, pizza robots in pizza trucks. Oh, my God. It's the, it's the perfect storm of everything. And sitting next to me is Stefan von Mühlen, who is the CEO and co-founder of Poor Study, which is automated pour-over coffee, automated barista, but he's local from Brooklyn, which is great. We love to come in and have another local Brooklyn business join us. So your commute was a little shorter. Yeah, I just rode my bike from downtown Brooklyn, and I'll be heading back to the Brooklyn Army Terminal after this. Nice. You might have to bring pizza for the office staff because they might be jealous. (laughs) I already have a basket full of my CSA vegetables I have to give away before I leave for the weekend. Okay. All right. (laughs) I I think, I I mean, I love CSA vegetables, but pizza would probably be more exciting for the office. Do what we can. Okay. (laughs) So today's show is about automating, automating food, robots. You know, for the past five to 10 years, I would say, the restaurant and hospitality industry has been lamenting a shortage of staff front of the house, back of the house, prep, cooks, bartenders, pastry chefs, waiters, servers, everybody, there has been an increasing shortage of staff. And the pandemic, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to say made that shortage even more acute and more intense for a variety of reasons. 
You know, when people had to shelter in place, if your job requires you to be in person someplace, you can't make money if you're sitting at home. So there's a huge contingent of people who are service people, who are face-to-face -face people, who couldn't work from home, who didn't have paid vacation, who couldn't do the remote thing. And, you know, the hospitality industry suffered because of that. A lot of people found other opportunities, other things to do. People relocated. They went back home. People also decided that maybe they don't want to work 90 hours a week anymore and wanted more of like a nine-to-five kind of life with paid vacation and health insurance. And that's a challenge for the restaurant industry. So there's a lot of different things swirling around from 2020 onward. And one of those things is hospitality is short-staffed. So it's, it's a good moment, I think, for automation and robotics. I think probably, while some would say, and we'll get into it maybe a little bit with uh, Stefan, who maybe has a little bit of a barista uprising when they think about automation, um, but a redistribution in the hospitality industry from maybe people working in the restaurant to maybe people delivering or doing marketing or other types of things, and just the shift of where people want to eat. I was, I'm noticing with, great, with greater and greater frequency uh, coffee vending machines. They have the robotic ones out in San Francisco because, of course, San Francisco is, you know, very close to the tech hub of all things like tech in the U.S. And they have actual coffee robots and ramen robots and these vending machines where you watch the robot make your thing. Um, in airports, you know, when I'm traveling and even in Europe, a lot of coffee machines that are on the platforms that are very different from the old school coffee machines where it was just sort of like hot water and mixing powders. Um, but actually brewing and grinding coffee and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Plus, who doesn't love robots? I mean, everybody loves robots. I mean, the future is robots for the most part. Um, and we're here. We're here. AI, robots, all of that. Um, and it's thrilling and scary and, and uh, all of that at the same time. So, but what better way to ease into robots than with things that we love like pizza and coffee? So we're going to start with Stefan because you actually started Poor Steady back in 2015. We'll just sort of like work chronologically through exactly. like time, life, technology. Yeah, um, we formed Poor Steady January 2nd, 2015. So just a few weeks before you guys. Just a few weeks before us. And so for people who may not drink a lot of coffee or who may not be familiar with the pour over coffee methodology, um, Stefan, why don't you give us just a quick... 101 on what is pour over coffee pour over coffee is a, a manual way of making the perfect single cup of uh, freshly brewed coffee so you can imagine going to you know 7-eleven and getting coffee out of an urn and you don't know how long it's been there and you don't know really where it came from um, and then there's the specialty coffee industry which really prizes um, unique coffees from you know origin that are flown or taken, you know, green to the roaster, roasted within a month of being served, ground right before the single cup is made, and then generally served black, and it highlights all of the, the variety, almost like a wine connoisseur in the coffee world. And that started to have an audience and a following, you know, before us, certainly. By 2013, Blue Bottle had already kind of hit the scene and was bringing it into a commercial coffee setting. And what you know, was readily apparent to the customers, the servers, and the shops that were trying to do it, while well, this may be the best way to serve a single cup of freshly brewed coffee, um, it is not necessarily the right way to do it in a busy coffee shop. So 
we sort of saw a barista trying to make three pour overs at once where they're literally measuring the amount of water, pouring it in like little spirals, weighing the coffee as it's happening, weighing the coffee, using timers and trying to get a repeatable perfect cup every time. And as um, designers and engineers, it was sort of like the aha moment was we can make a tool to help this barista. So it wasn't really ever about replacing the barista, but making a tool that makes this style of serving coffee work as well as making an espresso in a busy coffee shop. And so that was sort of where we started. And uh, where we ended up now is a company that, you know, we have, I don't know, 1,100, 1,200 machines all over the world um, serving up pour-over coffee in, in busy coffee shops. Um, we have a new product on its way that kind of addresses some of the things we've learned along the way. But the real mission is to make this style of coffee and our equipment a little less weird to hit kind of a bigger, fatter part of the of the industry. Um, luckily, it's a huge industry where half the adult world drinks coffee every day. So even if we own the top of the pyramid, we have a pretty good business. And as we sort of move down into more normal places, there'll be better coffee and more poor steadies. Well, the interesting thing about pour over coffee is, you know, trends bubble up based on, you know, a shop, an influencer, a journalist discovering something. But pour over coffee is actually something um, that's considered super convenient and very <clears throat> low tech in many parts of the world where you may not have a lot of electricity and you may not have a Mr. Coffee machine and you may not have access to those kinds of things. Uh, when you go to Asia and you go to a supermarket, the whole coffee tea aisle is amazing. They have so many varieties of like instant coffees, but they also have little you know, coffee, almost like tea bags or sachets or like ready-made preloaded cones of coffee that you put over a cup or over a pot and you just pour hot water over it. The idea being that maybe you don't have electricity or maybe you don't have the appliance, but you have some way to boil water and pour hot water over it. I actually have a set of two really old, probably like early 1900s or something like that. Um, it's a little French coffee set where it's a it's a coffee cup on a saucer, and then it has this little, um, almost like metal basket that sits on top of it with a lid and a filter, and it's essentially like a very charming, like pour-over coffee situation. So it seems like it's a new thing, but it's really not a new thing. And in some parts of the world, it's not a fancy, expensive, specialty coffee experience. Um, I love uh, Muji, the Japanese utility store. Um, it's like a wonderland of, of fun, inexpensive things. And they have they have sort of like a pour-over coffee tea bag type of thing where, you know, you can get your coffee like that. And I just love it. So that's 2015. And in 2015, Benson, you were making batteries at SpaceX or something like that. <laughs> I right. mean, you're 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 the perfect storm. You're the pizza guy with the robots, but also SpaceX. Yeah, I had uh, just left uh, Lucid uh, Motors uh, after designing that battery system and then j joined SpaceX. And I was uh, put in charge or I was designing the Dragon, the, the spaceship battery, the new, you know, Dragon 2, which is the, 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 the kind of the ne newest, greatest American spaceship. And uh, I designed that battery system. I was designing that battery system during that during that time, and and watching all of the amazing things that SpaceX was doing and being a part of it. So it was a really really exciting time to 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 be involved in uh, the space industry. And uh, I was at SpaceX for about five years before starting this pizza adventure. So I don't want to get caught in the weeds of, yeah. of talking about SpaceX too much because we could. Yeah. But I'm just going to ask two really quick questions. Um, 
how different is the battery for a spaceship from like the battery in my mobile phone or the battery I'm going to put into like a flashlight or, you know, yeah, an old school radio. My my uh, smoke alarm has a battery. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say the chemistries are slightly different, but beyond that, once once you start looking at like electric cars and spaceship batteries, the chem they're all lithium ion based, and that's the same as your cell phone. Uh, but the the design philosophy or the the money you can spend on a space battery is much uh, much larger compared to you know what you can spend to design a car battery or a cell phone battery. So so the the design paradigm is very different for spaceship batteries. You need to survive a rocket launch versus, you know, uh, you're holding a phone in your hand. So while you have a greater uh, a greater list of things the battery needs to accomplish and probably a much more restricted like size volume weight component to put it into, you also have sky's the limit resources because you don't actually have to sell it to the public. That's right. You, you have <laughs> and make a lot of them. You just how many of them do you need to make for a spaceship? For a spaceship, it's uh, usually like two to three because you need redundant power systems. But it's it's really so it's not like you're producing you know fifty thousand no, or something. No. Okay. So that that was my first question. The second question is, how do you leave a spaceship? <laughs> Like you said, it was an exciting five years, like an exciting time to be there. Is there ever a time when a spaceship is not exciting? Are we blasé yeah. about it? Um, I was actually uh, in charge. Which is of- a segue into why you left. Perhaps. Yeah, I, I mean, I was in charge of the Starlink battery system, so the battery system for the for the satellite network. And I remember just realizing that I could design batteries for the rest of my life. And I was sort of bored, like I wanted to change it up. Fair. Uh, And my my parents, when they moved to America, actually opened a fish and chips restaurant. And my degree is in chemical engineering, which is Uh, essentially cooking. It's cooking, and and I I I remember doing kind of research projects for Wrigley's and and sitting through Frosted Flakes coatings coding seminars and I was like this is amazing so I've always loved food and and I just wanted to take what I knew how to do and apply it to something that that I was really really passionate about um, and so you started stellar pizza in 2019 with two other SpaceX yeah, colleagues yeah my actually two of uh, my co-founders sat next to me at SpaceX and we were all designing battery systems they were in charge of the batteries for the rocket uh, but we all loved food. We would all leave SpaceX at lunch and go find new restaurants to eat at. And that's sort of how we became friends. And they just happened to be uh, two very amazing engineers who had robotics experience at Carnegie Mellon. And, and that was sort of the idea. And my background before Lucid, before SpaceX, I actually started an electric truck company. So, so, so I knew, you know, I was in the vehicle space, and, and that was sort of the genesis of the idea for a fully automated pizza truck that could go and find where people want pizza and cook pizza. Well, where people want pizza is right here, and we <laughs> actually have pizza coming in um, from Roberta's. My personal favorite is the famous original with pepperoni. We also have the bee sting, which is Matt's favorite. So we're going to take a quick break to get our pizza and to find out who is underwriting this show. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is robots and automation with some of our favorite foods. We are talking with Benson Tsai, CEO and co-founder of Stellar Pizza. That is pizza trucks with pizza made by robots. If you're interested in finding out more about them, maybe finding out where you can find the truck, maybe trying to get a truck to come to your event. They are on the West Coast. You can find them online, eatstellarpizza.com, or on social media, at eatstellarpizza. We're also talking with Stefan von Mullen, CEO and co-founder of Poor Steady. That is an automated pour-over coffee machine which might be a little much for somebody at home, but if you're in food service or think you want to open a coffee shop or just curious about what that might be if you've seen it, check them out online at poorsteady.com and on social media at poorsteady. Before we went to the break, we were talking about why you would leave a spaceship for pizza, and we just ate some pizza because we're at Roberta's Pizza, which is where the Heritage Radio Network studios are, I just love Roberta's pizza. It never gets old. So, Benson, I'm going to ask you first, how does the pizza stack up to your robot pizza? <laughs> there, I mean, it's delicious here, uh, but it, but it's a different style of pizza than what we make. We make more of a thin, thin crust New York style versus this Neapolitan New York <laughs> style. Okay. And, um, Stefan, we're not going to have the coffee here because it's not probably quite the specialty coffee experience I'm sure, that you're used I'm to. I'm sure it tastes like coffee. Coffee, you know, there is such thing as bad coffee, but a standard coffee is usually pretty gratifying. I think, I mean, there's that famous saying, and I want to attri- I actually want to attribute it to Dave Chang, but I, I don't know that it's definitely him who started it, but I have heard him say it. And, you know, like, pizza is just one of those things, and coffee is one of those things also, where even when it's bad, it's okay. Yeah. Like, even bad coffee and pizza is still okay, coffee and pizza, because you just want what you want. So before the break, we were also talking about Benson leaving SpaceX, where he was designing batteries, to go to start to do something that he, you know, loved a little bit more that would grab his attention. And he took some of his SpaceX colleagues with him, and they decided to do pizza robots. So (laughs) where do you start with a pizza robot? I mean, the questions that I typically ask people on this show who are founders who have technology, was there something existing on the market? 
did you have to build from scratch? Was there existing robotic technology that you said, okay, we're going to do that? I know that there are pizza machines that are automated where you put dough and things like that and you load it in and it's a conveyor belt and 12 minutes later you get a pizza out the other end. There's automated donut machines and all kinds of stuff like that. So what was there available off the shelf? Did you start with that and like MacGyver it or did you build from scratch? Yeah, uh, so we ended up building from scratch, but definitely, I think when people think about pizza robots, they think about a robot with two arms, just like... Right, like the Jetsons robot yeah, or something, no, that's like, not... or C-3PO, like <laughs> I, my pizza butler robot, that's my right, pizza, that's right. you know, house person robot, chef robot. Yeah, and I, and I like to tell people that we've actually been eating pizzas made by robots and machines for decades in the frozen pizza world, as you were saying. Uh, but when we decided to chase this mobile form factor, like our, our machine, our, our, our truck has all of the throughput of an entire pizza restaurant. We can make, it takes about four and a half minutes to make a pizza from, from, from scratch from raw dough ball, but um, it can make a pizza every 45 seconds to a minute, uh, depending on what you order. So it's high throughput and our truck stores 420 pizzas worth of ingredients. So high throughput, high capacity, but the mobility of a food truck. And, and so to... to, to, to that of, battery thing again. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to do that, though, you need... Uh, you, you can't just buy off-the-shelf equipment. The power consumption is too high. The energy requirements that you need, very, very... It, it gets very complicated very quickly. And we don't want to have to drive our truck to, a, to a, an event and then plug in power and all the things that you might need. So we I ended up recruiting a team of 30 former SpaceX engineers. To, 30 yeah. former SpaceX engineers <laughs> to work on the pizza truck. That's correct. Okay, how many engineers are working on the spaceship? Oh, uh, uh, thousands. Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, percentage-wise, yeah. it's yeah. it's commensurate the job to the That's team. That's right. Okay. And, and we ended up designing from scratch because we needed everything to be super, super compact, lightweight and low cost. That was the real, real kicker. Our, our trucks are quite affordable, and, and it, it, when we hit our target kind of numbers, the payback or the return on investment is less than a year. Okay. Wow. 30, 30 SpaceX engineers to build a pizza truck. That's a question, right? How many engineers does it take to, how many space <laughs> engineers does it take to build a pizza truck? 30. Um, Stefan, did you have existing technology or did you have to create something? I mean, pour, as we talked about at the top of the show, pour over coffee is pretty straightforward. Yeah. <clears throat> and I have seen um, certainly in coffee shops sort of the two cup or the four cup, I'm going to say like rack yeah. system where you have, um, you know, four pour over units with sort of like, I'm going to say spouts. And so it's like a frame that you can do four cups at one time, which probably just makes it easier and a little bit more streamlined. But did you have off the shelf technology or did you have to make it up on your own? Or? The technology oddly came first. Um, there was no intention with the first prototype to make a product or a business out of it. Um, you know, I've been in the hardware space, working in an aerospace engineering company here. I went to Stanford product design stuff, and I've been just making things in New York City for you know my entire career. And we went to the Maker Fair in Queens in 2013, and two of my friends, Carnegie Mellon, you know, aerospace engineers, had gone to a Blue Bottle in California when they were visiting Ames, and saw this barista getting lost trying to make four while the line grew, and so. 
one of been working on a pharmaceutical machine that was like kind of doing pipetting. Mm. You know, imagine oh, a room with no lights, like doing little doses into, you know, into beakers or test tubes for 24-7. And so they kind of like cut and paste some code, used some motors that they had and built the first prototype out of like really not like maker kind of quality stuff, but aerospace engineer spare parts. And I went there that first day to help, you know, run the booth. And we served 400 cups of coffee each day for both weekend, for both days of the weekend and took back all of these ribbons. And we were on the tested blog. And I just kind of looked at the guys and I was like, Stuart, Mark, like, can I like do something with this? You know, I was sort of in between my previous startup and, and uh, we got into like an incubator and, you know, got ready for the next big trade show and redesigned everything for the, for an actual product. And that's where we kind of looked at, all of the stakeholders. So we weren't just making a robot to replace baristas. We were making a machine to make pour-over work as well as espresso in a coffee shop. So the customers were getting the same cup they had before, and they weren't waiting for somebody else's coffee to be made. The barista was able to serve them and the coffee, and like the owner was able to train and staff like they would otherwise. And so everybody got something, and we were also just very mindful of that we weren't forcing technology into a place where they didn't need it. We were just making this style of coffee work in a, in a retail environment. And um, that sort of was the vision, and we've been able to like run with it for the last seven years. It's interesting, technology that exists, how you see it, how you repurpose it. <clears throat> we had earlier this um, spring Nathan Mirvold on. Um, he's a science guy. You might find his show interesting. Um, and he talked, you know, the he has his modernist cuisine lab, and they've published a number of books um, really going into the minutest detail about the history and process of, of cooking bread, pizza. Um, but the book that he just recently published was about photography, and he talked about the different types of photography that they do and the lenses and to do the photography for the books. And, and it was just fascinating. And one of the most fascinating things he talked about was using a digitizer to calculate the volume of things when you have a recipe that says let double in size like how do you know it's doubled in size if you're using like a, a different vessel or container and all that so they would digitize things and then do an, uh, do math to figure out what the volume is and then see if it actually doubled in size and it wasn't actually present anywhere in the book in terms of that detail but it was present in how they validated and tested the recipes and I said what like a digitizer like Mission Impossible, where they like digitize somebody's face and then they make the mask out of it. He's like, yeah, exactly like that. And I said, well, like, where do you get those? Did you make one? Are they really expensive? And he's like, no, you can buy them on Amazon. And I was like, oh my God, you can buy them on Amazon. And I wonder if that's something that, you know, other, you know, pastry people or chefs would utilize because it's just a completely different way of thinking about something or a completely different way of thinking how to solve a problem or measure something or do an equation. Neither of you have any kind of cooking or food or hospitality background. You're coming from the science and design side. Is there anything that surprised either of you about actually the food piece of it? Is there anything, Benson, that surprised you about the actual pizza dough and the pizza and the cheese? And had you given that much thought? Did you hire somebody who is an expert to do it? Well, we, we first approached 
the, the food as science. It, it ultimately it, of is course science, science, right? Yes, and so, absolutely. So we, it is we science. took a very, very uh, scientific approach to the food at first to get us to a place where we were like, oh, this is pretty repeatable. Uh, and then we brought in the expert, you know, pizza dough uh, uh, people, and they came and helped and, and allowed us to kind of scale our, our science experiment into a real production uh, for, for our recipes. But uh, I did want to touch on your note of saying that like th- there's 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 this technology curve like like things that are being developed in other industries have reduced the cost of robotics of automation significantly to the point where you can t- buy something off Amazon that is used for something else and apply it to the food industry and 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 that's why I think we're seeing this moment in 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 the food world where automation is starting to creep in 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 every which way well, I think we've seen it. I mean, it, an interesting point is going back to something you said earlier. When people think about robots, we think about C-3PO or the thing that looks like a, a, a person or an upright something with like arms and hands. But robotics are just automated things doing things. And the consumer packaged goods or industrial food production has been using automation for a long time. I mean, your, your cornflake story, like they've been, you know, automating cereal and all that kind of stuff. We watch videos, you know, on YouTube, everybody loves a factory tour. So a lot of that is automated, but we don't think about it as like robotics. The interesting thing is that there's so much technology that's already in the food world that we don't really think about it as being technology because it's become so ubiquitous and go back to the idea of what is technology. Technology is just a tool to help you do something. So I think one of the greatest examples of like repurposed tech in the food space, I mean, I'm going to think of two. One is the microplane. The microplane is literally something from a hardware store that was intended for like wood shop and metalworking that somebody brought into the kitchen to shave really hard, you know, spices and cheese and chocolates. And now there's an entire line of microplanes. Yeah. And, and I think, nobody the, even thinks I think about the inventor it. and the founder was sort of disappointed. It wasn't like work used more by craftsmen and more by chefs. He really was, his heart was in the actual craft. Well, craftsman I'm, piece. I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. The, it's apparently the story now. is it took him a while to come around. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one is um, sous vide, sous vide and immersion circulators, you know, cooking at, you know, the water baths and the temperature and all that that's a you know that is not something that was created to make like the perfect terrine or like the perfect poached foie gras or you know whatever um but it's so popular now again like going you you can buy them on amazon you can buy them online you can buy tiny little immersion circulators that connect to an app on your phone and you too can sous vide at home they got the vacuum sealers you can buy the bags at walmart you know it's it's the future is now yeah yeah, I wanted to back up though and sort of make a, not a counterpoint, but sort of shake, explain that we sort of took the opposite take of, you know, even though we were designers and engineers, we were coming into like a ritual with professional coffee people. And there were as many opinions about how to make a pour over as there are baristas. And, you know, we wanted to be very careful that it was the right amount of technology and that we weren't overstating what our expertise was. 
So we really specifically made a tool that like aesthetically like referenced kind of old Italian machines in a way. It wasn't a humanoid robot. It was like But really that's the tech aesthetic, forward. that's not the technology. Right. What's the, too much technology? I mean too what, much technology what, for What was too much technology? What were, were there things that you had to take out of the machine or I mean, extract or like we sideline? literally designed it so that you could use a Chemex, a Melita, a Kalita filter. Like there's new drippers that come in with all kinds of art and science and aesthetics packed into them and they they trend every couple of years and they all work on our machine. So like if there's a barista who really likes cone filters versus flat bottom ones, right. they get to choose. But did you have to take any tech out? I'm curious about the what's too much technology. I'm sure you have a you have thoughts about what's too much technology. What's I mean, too much if you technology? Look, if you look at the market, you know, like I said, there've been a lot of attempts at like fully automated robotic right. coffee so shops. So is that too much tech or tech that doesn't work that people don't I mean, want? In the ritual of coffee and the where people are right now in 2023, too much technology is the humanoid robot doing it. I mean, that's mm. sort of my perspective. And I think the market kind of bears it out. Like there's companies that get started and they get a few in some airports in San Francisco. And then they like go away a few years later and then somebody else tries. And maybe society will catch up to that one day. But right now, like people have feelings about their morning ritual and to make sure that the person serving it isn't like upset by the tools that they're using and they appreciate it and like the person getting it knows that they're getting quality without sacrificing craft or even like the social interaction like in the end you know we use the word robot a lot but it really is just a tool you know and it's a humble tool in a way there's some theater in it like if you watch our machine move it like people go, wow, because it starts to dance around. But that's because it looks like a human hand is pouring it without the human hand there. And there's a little magic in that. And that, you know, doesn't replace the human being operating it, but it does replace the, you know, the person with, you know, tattoos and an apron who is making you wait tattoos. while they do the whole, I mean, you know, the kind of cliche, I apologize to all the baristas in the world that have tattoos, but there is like a strong aesthetic in 2015 when we started of what a barista was supposed to be. And that's evolved and it's all that's over the world. That's not technology though. It's that's not technology. fashion but, but it's and theater. social thing. But it is yeah. theater and that's social That's why we things. go to the coffee shop. Yeah, exactly. So if we made like a dorky humanoid robot to like do that, we wouldn't get very far. And, you know, the fact that we're still here kind of proves that we kind of hit some of the right notes to make sure that those baristas and the person who just took the job and their boss are all happy enough that the customer still wants to buy the coffee. Hmm. What is too much technology in your in your world? Is there too much technology? Did you have to take something off the truck that yeah, you put I on mean, the truck? I mean, for, for us, or for, for both our companies, I think we need to look at who the cu customer is and what the customer actually wants, right? When I go to a coffee shop, I enjoy kind of interacting with the barista, but I do see you know them stressed out over the fact that there's a huge line, right? So we're solving, I, I think that's that's the problem that you're solving, which is great. Like, I get a great cup of coffee. For us, if you, if you, you know, we're, we're trying to compete with the large pizza chains and if you think about like going to a Domino's, you're not there to watch the artisanal kind of no. pizza get made. And you might be there to watch the conveyor belt pizza thing because it's a quick conveyor belt pizza, yeah, right? Like yeah. a little pizza oven where it comes out one but, end. But on your tenth trip there, 
I don't think you're looking at that machine, right? No. And and for us, we will be, you know, on, on our app, we will be soon rolling out a feature where you can watch your pizza get made in the machine. But the Stellar ve- Pizza it's, Cam, it, it's a very digital experience. We our truck, live, you can't, streaming live, you constantly? can't see inside. Yeah, but yes. are you going to have a 24-hour live stream on on Instagram or something like that? Yeah, you could. It, it, well, I think we're going to roll it out on Twitch or something. But like, we're still figuring <laughs> out all the, the the logistics of it. But for for now, like, I want people to just have a really, really affordable, delicious pizza. And that's that's our mission. Like the robotics or the automation is all in support of what the customer wants. And and in, in the coffee case, uh, it's it's very much that that barista, that experience. And for us, it's it's just like affordable, delicious pizza. Affordable, delicious pizza. Who doesn't want that? I think, you know, if you could bring that to the world, you could probably like ease a lot, you know, ease into world peace. I mean, you'd be really well, close to solving a lot of the problems so, probably. Yeah. One question I get often is like, how did you convince all these, these, these rocket scientists to, to join this pizza adventure? And, and, you know, our mission at SpaceX was to get to Mars, make humans a multi-planetary species. I think Stellar Pizza and, and our company in general, like, the goal is pizza you know, on Mars. Well, no, 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 no. The, the what goal do you mean, is no? like, what if three, <laughs> if we're interstellar, <laughs> we need pizza on Mars. What if millions of Americans could pay three to five dollars less for food? That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, that is food is food and feeding yeah. the population of this country and the world is one of the big, 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 big things everyone's looking at. That's right. Yeah. So looking forward, I mean, technology, the future. I can't believe you're not going to put pizza on Mars, though. <laughs> One Dis- day. Disappointing a little bit. People I mean, first. how can how can <laughs> how can we have humanity without pizza in an interstellar sense? I mean, don't all the things have to go with the people, or else it's not life on Mars? Yeah. I'm using air quotes. Um, what do you have in the pipeline? What's coming the next year, next five years? What's on your uh, event horizon for Stellar <laughs> Pizza and the robots? I mean, right now we're just trying to get everything figured out and scale the scale the company within Los Angeles. So the next year or two is more trucks on the road showing up. We largely serve college campuses from like 5 p.m. till 3 a.m. Uh, and and then for lunch we cater. So so we do this kind of multimodal approach to running a restaurant. Um, but after that, I, I want these trucks all over the United States and and. To, to my previous statement of I want like millions of Americans paying three to five dollars less for food. There you go. Uh, how many trucks do you have now? We have two right now with a third one on the way. And where can people find them? How do they find your uh, trucks? So they're in, well, you can follow us on uh, Instagram. Uh, the handle is at Eat Stellar Pizza, I think you mentioned earlier, or ch- check our website, eatstellarpizza.com. And then you update where the trucks are going to be. And, That's and right. And people can order a truck for an event. Yes, they can book a truck, and we're actually really affordable. <laughs> okay. Our, our, you know, our current prices are uh, for a 12-inch pie is $7.95 in Los Angeles, which is incredibly affordable. Okay. Right on. You got to drive that truck across country or something like that. Do one of those like roadshow things. We have taken them. Or go them, to the festivals. We, we've and, taken them yeah. to Vegas and San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. And then, Stefan, what's what's in the pipeline for Poor Steady? What's coming soon? Uh, we just announced in April in Portland and in Athens, Greece last week, our new first new product in a number of years. Um, and it's... An evolution of what we've been selling with all of the lessons learned 
over the years of what the customers and what the market really wants. So it's a smaller machine that costs less, that has more functionality, and is actually a little less reliant on the internet. Um, so it could just pull it out of the box and plug it in and plug water in it, start making coffee, which makes the, the fric- makes it a little less friction to get it into more places and make pour over a little less weird and hit a bigger piece of the market. So. Is there ever um, a home model or it's always professional? I mean, we manufacture everything here in New York City, and we, you know, have our background in aerospace engineering and design, so we kind of like the making commercial equipment without compromise. You know, if we shifted to the home model where you're making these machines for less than a thousand bucks... Um, there are them. home models that are upwards sure. of a thousand that sure, can go know, to like our, five, our, six, like, seven, ten. Yeah, so there might be some rich and folks the, that would like to have front. one of our machines in their house, but I think that there are other companies that are doing a great job of making you know single cup brewed coffee from the bean to the cup um, very well, and more power to them. And like if we can bring this perfect style of serving coffee to more people, we'll all do well. So I'm happy to have that happen alongside of us, but we're not quite racing to the home market just yet. Okay. Well, there you have it. Pizza robots, automatic baristas. It's all happening. You know, if you like the ideas on this show, and if you think it's fun to learn about how these things get made from the people who are making them, this is episode 294, which means we've got lots and lots of interviews with founders and innovators and CEOs. You might want to check out episode 291, which is another battery food truck story, but this time it's ice cream. You should do an event with the ice cream truck and the pizza truck all on the batteries and get that working. It'll be like a nice one-two punch. We also did a shipping container show that had some robotics. Um, Episode 258 is a little tribute to Roberta's Pizza and the Heritage Radio Network Studio, which is to repurpose shipping containers. I cannot give enough love and gratitude for my studio, my people, my restaurant, and my pizza. Um, You know, back when we did episode 200 in March of 2020, who knew if we were ever going to be back here? And we are. And the pizza is just as good as I remember. I want to thank Benson Tsai, CEO and co-founder of Stellar Pizza, for coming all the way from Los Angeles. Follow them at Eat Stellar Pizza. Find them online, eatstellarpizza.com. I want to thank Stevan von Mueller for riding his bike over from Brooklyn, CEO and co-founder of Poor Steady, poorsteady.com and at Poor Steady. If you love this show and you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart and make a donation. Maybe give us what you spent on a cup of coffee today. It'll help us make more radio. Keep the lights on and the mic's hot. I'm Jennifer Leutzi and this is Tech Bites. TechBytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash subscribe.